ಓಂ ಮಂಗಳಂ ಗುರುದೇವಾಯ ದೇವಿಯ ಮಾತೃಕ್ಷ ಮಂಗಳ ಮಂಗಳಂ ಭಕ್ತ ಬೃಂದೇವಿಯು ಸರ್ವಲೋಕಾಯ ಮಂಗಳಂ ಓಂ ಸ್ಥಾಪಕಾಯ ಚ ಧರ್ಮಸ್ವರ್ವಧರ್ಮಸ್ವರೂಪಿಣೇ ಅವತಾರ ವರಿಷ್ಠಾಯ ರಾಮಕೃಷ್ಣಾಯ ಮಂಗಳಂ ಓಂ ಸದಾಶಿವಸಮಾರಂಭಂ ಶಂಕರಚಾರ್ಯ ಮಧ್ಯಮಂ ಅಶ್ಮರಚಾರಪ್ರಾಯಂತಂ ವಂದೇ ಗುರುಂ ಪರಂಪರಂ ಓಂ ಗುರು ಬ್ರಹ್ಮ ಗುರು ವಿಷ್ಣು ಗುರುದೇವೋ ಮಹೇಶ್ವರ ಗುರುರೇವ ಪರಂ ಬ್ರಾಹ್ಮಣ ತಸ್ಮೈ ಶ್ರೀಗುರುವೇ ನಮಃ So continuing from our readings of Swami Vivekananda's Bhakti Yoga, Yoga of Love and Devotion, one of his uh, classical, uh, very famous works on the four, called The Four Yogas. He wrote, I uh, uh, can't say he wrote, he spoke, for, for, uh, he gave a series of lectures, but conscious that they'd become books. He knew he wanted to give, so he spoke in a way that could be recorded, knowing they'd be recorded and edited into these four books. Uh, and so we've been reading on Bhakti Yoga. So last week we read about how loving the one, the, 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 the universal, we can love all the specifics. So by loving God is the only way to, re- to really love the entire world, to have universal, as Swamiji says, universal brotherhood or sisterhood or universal love like that comes only from the love of God. He gave his reasons for that. continue <coughs> this is one of my uh, favorite little chapters of this book it's called the triangle of love and justin pointed out it's not a love triangle in the normal sense <laughs> in the popular use of the word so it's, it's meant by the triangle of love it's meant something different swamiji because swamiji is talking about para bhakti right he's the topic actually but at this point he's he's general general topic about devotion about bhakti about ishvara about so many things to discuss now he's talking para bhakti the supreme bhakti so he's giving hints of its qualities purest bhakti shuddha bhakti and so but so he's going to make he's he's we're speaking in very high points this is what real love this is what para bhakti looks like but by compare by by principle we if we know the principle we know we can see its its uh, uh, its presence or its qualities in all specifics because we know what what pure love is and we see our regular what we normally consider love right we see oh there's love there for sure but we have to see what what's the difference between our regular um uh, uh, actually some, what's the difference one extreme is our selfish attachments right to loving relationships and something and to the highest uh, selfless devotion to god right we can see all of our affection all of our attachment all of our love at every level we can see what is it that what is it that differentiates it from the purest love right because you you know samadhi at the very beginning says that like our normal bhakti yoga is a science of taking our natural propensity our propensity to be attached and to love and long for union right and usually we consider those are the very things that generate delusion attachment the thing that that we can we we uh, feel and we experience and the sages tell us are obstacles that hold us back he says those very things actually are not obstacles we need to give them the proper focus we need to make them focus on what we actually want what we really what we really really want as they say so uh, this is to know that quality what is it what is real love look like and we can see how to purify you know to purify our our, our the, where we are now to give some hope 
it's not with, as we're, we keep joking, Swamiji used the term frothy talk, remember, this, uh, some weeks ago, right? Because sometimes we just talk philosophy, right? Frothy talk. It's things way above uh, discussing and arguing and things beyond our experience, beyond our... But it's not just meant, to, although we're speaking way above our experience perhaps, but it's not really above our experience. We have intuitions of this. It's when we hear a saint make these statements. There's something, even though we may not have direct memory of such an experience, we have some. You know, it's not brand new, right? The bell is rung somewhere. Some memory is struck, right? So this is the benefit of, of holy company and hearing these things. We begin to, is such love possible? Such levels of devotion possible? Such selflessness possible? Meant to be encouragements and reminders of our of our inner, of we really, to fan our real desire. Triangle of love in this small version here, it's on page 92, starts. We may represent love as a triangle, each of the angles of which corresponds to one of its three inseparable characteristics. There can be no triangle without all its three angles, and there can be no true love without about its three following characteristics. Samaji sometimes says that in, uh, 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 like for this camera, the phone camera to be held up, minimum three legs is stable, right? You know, four legs even more stable, right? You know, but one, you know, what do they call a unipod? I think they even sometimes use that. They're, they hold things straight, but not very secure. You can still fall. Even two things, we know, those of us who learned how to ride a bike, very... Um, <laughs> It's not easy in the beginning to get to stay upright on two wheels, but three wheels, it's safe, right? So these are the three. Uh, 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 not only does it make love a firm foundation, right? But these are also the, the, the three main qualities. I'm just saying, the first angle of our triangle of love is that love knows no bargaining. Actually, it's going to refrain like that. No, love knows no this. Love knows no this. Love knows no this. It's the, the rhetorical pattern somebody's using. Love knows no bargaining. Whatever there is any seeker for something in return, there can be no real love. It becomes a mere matter of shopkeeping. The one of also Samaji's famous sayings that shop he calls shopkeeping religion. This is not. It's you can't say it's not religion because this is most of religion, right? This is not parabhakti, right? So we say this is not. You can't say real religion because you can't dismiss. 90% of people's religion is not real religion because it doesn't agree with one, one view of a definition, right? But it's not parabhakti. It's not pure love. Whatever it is, maybe it's sufficient. Maybe it's better, but it's not pure love. If you're looking for pure love, this is, what it, this is one of the qualities that it shouldn't be seeking something in return, right? Shopkeeping religion. Whenever there is any seeking for something in return, there can be no real love. It becomes a mere matter of shopkeeping. As long as there is in us any idea of deriving this or that favor from God in return for our respect and alliance to Him, so long there could be no true love growing in our hearts. Those who worship God because they wish Him to bestow favors on them are sure not to worship Him. Sorry, I lost my place. Those who worship God because they wish to bestow Him to bestow favors on them are sure not to worship Him if those favors are not forthcoming. So this is the thing: is that we, of course, this is natural. You know, we praying to God even for. Uh, I mean, we we many people come. We can't we can't say you know like what are you going to pray for when you come in? You know, if you're praying for something, you're praying for your family, you're praying for a job, you're praying for health. You can't come in. That's selfish. 
can't do like that, right? We all we also do, right? Who else are you going to go to? You know, when you're having trouble, you go to your mother, you go to your father, right? You go to your friend, you ask, right? That's natural. This is a natural thing, but this is not. This is and sometimes that that's a reason. Going to God with some uh, with some need could be a symptom of love, also, right? Because we we love God and therefore who are we going to go to? We go to the one we love if we need help, right? But we don't love them. We go to them because we love them. We don't go to them. We don't love them because they give us something, right? And you can see sometimes we you know in our own childhood we go to our mom because we want something, right? And if she doesn't give it to us, we don't stop loving your mom. Later, you, you ask something else, maybe. <laughs> or you ask your dad. <laughs> One of them will give it to you. But mom said, you know. <laughs> you play that game, you know. But actually, we're asking because we love. So it's not dismissing everybody who's praying for anything from God. That's not love. And these aren't real lovers, not real religion. That's, you know. We, we shouldn't be careful not to say like that, right? We go out of love. The one we love, we know that God is the source of everything. And God has our, well, we, we express our natural desires and, and, and pains of our heart to such a, to such our to the one we love. But we don't go to them because they give it. We don't love them because that's Swamiji's point. You know? um, and you can see and sometimes I've we've it's not that common, but we sometimes see somebody says, Oh I I, I why don't you we haven't seen you at the temple. Well I, I came and I prayed for something and Ma didn't do it. So I don't believe in her. Right? So somebody it's like it's like wow that's <laughs> I've never, I've never seen that. You know, it's not a common to have it so uh, exactly somebody's point. But sometimes you can see. Sometimes it's behind people. They they will, you know, it's like oh, like uh, 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 um, the saint. If you pray to Sai Shirdi Sai Baba, you get some benefit. Oh, it doesn't work, right? You know, it's like or you go Balaji. If you break a coconut before Balaji, he always fulfills your desires. So we ran we ran to Balaji he fulfills your desires. So no, I tried that. It didn't work. Right? Right, that's not this type of religion is that's not that's not the real thing, right? If you love Babaji, Balaji, right, then 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 who are then naturally you go to him. Maybe also some we we joke in when when we're reading the Satyanarayan Gita in in the in the in the Padma Purana, uh, this all these stories are are, are you know, they seem to the normal modern mind a little superstitious type stories, but somebody says oh like uh uh. uh I'll do the puja. I'll do the Satrayan puja, because uh, uh, oh, I'm there's the first story in Satrayan puja. There's one poor Brahmin, and he some he's he can't because of his past karma, he cannot get even up to eat. He's suffering the results of his poor karma, and somebody said if you do Satrayan puja, he'll give you everything you need. Oh, okay, I'm making a sankalpa. I shall do Satrayan puja, right? And he does a puja. Lord Narayan blesses him, and he and he has enough money to eat and performs all the puja with great faith. Then another story happens. Somebody hears, uh, somebody attends that Satyanarayan Puja of that Brahmin. I think he's a woodcutter in this story. It's been a while since I've told the Satyanarayan Kata. Uh, he's a woodcutter and he says, oh, What are you doing? Oh, this, if you do this Puja, then Satyanarayan, Lord Satyanarayan blesses you. Oh, I'm also, uh, you know, I'm, I'm making, if, if Narayan gives me in all the things I need to do the Puja, then I'll, then I'll do the Puja. First, I'm going to do the Puja. Right? And Satyanarayan gave all blessing. Next one, if he gives me everything I need, then I'll, then I'll do the puja. Right? And so, yeah, I always joke, Lord Narayan thinking, I better give him everything. Otherwise, he's not going to worship me. And I really need to be worshipped. You know, it's like, it's like a weird psychology. It's like the Lord, like, oh, oh definitely we'll give him everything. And then the, the, the third main story is that of a, of a merchant, businessman mind, right? different type of consciousness. And he, um, 
he, he says, oh, he hears about the Satrayam Puja from a king, Badrishil, I believe, and he says, I, me and my, my wife haven't had a child. We've been trying, to, so if I have a child, right, I shall do Satrayam Puja. So he's not just, you know, if, uh, if, if I get enough money to do the simple, to gather the samagri, the coconut and the coke and the, the, the flowers and those type of things for the puja, if I get it, so he's thinking, ah, so if, if that Narayan character, if he wants a coconut from me, a halawa, right, he better give me a daughter. Right? And then he got his daughter, right, uh, and then his wife is saying, you need to do puja. No, 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 there's no rush. Why, why should we be so fanatical about these things? When she's married, we can do it at the time of her wedding. It says, right, you know, there's a famous story. Because also, in, especially Bengal and other places, uh, part of the wedding is Satrayam Puja. It comes from this. Because maybe somebody made a promise to Satrayam Puja, you better clear it on your wedding. So part of the wedding, after you leave a couple of days later, did you Satrayam Puja, very common. So, and so, again, he's, he's pushing it, he's pushing it. You know, now he, he really got a daughter, but a daughter is also difficult for a businessman. He needs a, a good husband. How is he going to get her married? How to marry? So he's got a daughter, get him married, you know. But the, behind it, of course, is the story is told about the, the tendency of mind, the bargaining quality of mind. But it's idea that that oh, if, if if God if God wants the coconut, if God wants if Ma wants the sari, she better. I promise, if if I get a job, then I'll bring Ma a sari. And many people Ma gets saris all the time. Most of those people are fulfilling a promise to her, right? But that's not. We shouldn't dismiss them because that's their own deal. That's their own. <laughs> they're they're dealing with Ma. You know, it's like that's their own business. We shouldn't. But the, but the, but we should be a little careful when we analyze our own mentality. Are we doing this because in order to get something? Right. But even Sri Ramakrishna would 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 he worship? Uh, would he offer coconut and sugar candy? Sugar sugar uh, sh- sugar candy was co- and coconut in order to, uh, in order to oh somebody to be healed or something. He needed some. That's a very auspicious desire though. Right. But um, for Keshav Sen, Keshav Sen, so sometimes we tell people it's like. I don't want to tell you that there's, there's no magic here. You do this, you get that. But I think Ma likes coconut and <laughs> sugar candy. <laughs> maybe, it will, yes, maybe it will work, you know. But, you know, the idea that Ma needs a coconut is ridiculous. Or Ma needs puja is ridiculous, right? And part of the story of Satyarana Puja is actually we need to do it. We need to worship. And, 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 and the very act of doing something, then the Lord responds to that. But we're not. But it's not, it's not meant to be, uh, if you do this, I get it. And, and so many in our relationships like that. It's like, like, like if, as long as you do this, then I'll be with you. As soon as you no longer satisfy my desires or whatever the desires. I mean, that's common. We join out of desire. We break when those desires aren't satisfied. It's this give and take relationship. Right? And, you, and, and we have to be careful also not to like condemn people who are... Uh, because people, you can get trapped in, 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 in like, oh, I'm, I'm being selfless. Right and 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 whatever you want, I'll, I'll do. It doesn't matter what. No, no, no. I don't need anything. In psychology, I think they call it codependence. I think right, mm-hmm. right. So there's a, it's not meant to be psychologically like twisted, right? We're talking about the general thing about pure. You can say, oh, like a mother is not codependent on her child. The mother gives love to the child, whether the child returns it returns anything or not, right? So it's not that's not a sign of codependence, right? So uh, 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 in the idealized form, right. Uh, but you can see it's not meant to be, and we're not discussing a, the, 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 the kind of the abusive situation. Right? But, um, bhakta, uh, the, the bhakta loves the Lord because, oh, this is, so, why, so if you love God, or if you love some, this is true of anybody, but especially God, if you love God, do you love God because he gives you stuff? 
Right? Or do you love God because He will give you something? Like maybe, you know, free pass to heaven or a better rebirth or in the, some divine loka. Right? Even after, even either in this life or in the next life, we, we're expecting something and therefore we love God. Right? And I've, I've had people tell me, he says, oh, I, why I love God? Because I believe in God because I want to go to heaven. Right? It's a real simple, it's like, well, it's, that's something, that's, that's, that's a lot of religion, right? You don't want to dismiss, that's people's religion. I can't, I'd have a hard time. That's not the way we really think about religion. That, oh, I have to believe in God because if I don't believe in God, not even love God, believe in God. Right? Loving, loving God is a different thing. Sometimes belief in God and love of God is considered the same. It's not the same thing, <laughs> you know. But uh, 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 so why do, why love God? Why love God? Because He gives you stuff, or you, if or He will give you some situation, or stop you from getting some you know a bad situation, give you some favor, right? So why why else should you love God? Why else to love God if He's not giving you something? The question. Swami has a very nice sentence. I don't know if anybody spontaneously comes up with the answer. What's your answer, Swami? With the book in your lap. <laughs> what did somebody say? You know? Oh, you're looking at them right. Ah. So you keep notes. The Bhakta loves the Lord because he is lovable. That's the best answer. You love God because he's lovable. Right? The only reason I love Komalakanta, he's just so lovable. I get a lot from him too, not just that. But the main reason. <laughs> There's other benefits. <laughs> but you know, but that's, so that's actually the, the highest love, reason to love anybody is because they're lovable. Not to get something. You know, to get something, that's, that's, a, that's it's something. It's a relationship. Maybe it's a business relationship. It's, a, it's an ambiguous relationship. Or maybe a survival relationship. Right? Not, it's, maybe it's, it's appropriate. People, people are, uh, families arrange marriages to, 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 make, to secure dynasties and raising of children. Maybe that's all fine. Right, but it's it doesn't doesn't deserve this highest title, right? You know the, the the real reason because they're lovable. Why do you love somebody? Because they're lovable. Why do you love God? He's lovable. Swamiji actually says he's the only object of love. Actually, real love can only be given to God. And even when we love somebody else, or we're trying to love somebody else. We're really trying. We're actually loving God or trying to love God, right? That's Swamiji will make that point as we go along here. The Bhakta loves the Lord because he is lovable. There is no other motive orig originating or directing originating or directing this divine emotion of a, of the true devotee. Then Swamiji tells the story from Sri Ramakrishna's parables. Sri Ramakrishna told the story many times. We have heard it said that a great king once went into the forest and there met a sage. He talked to the sage a little and was very much pleased with his purity and wisdom. Usually the stories go the for why do uh, uh, kings always go into the forest for hunting, right? And and the thing of it, that's always that. Why wasn't the only reason to go into the forest is to hunt animals? It's possibly other reason to kill something, you know. But actually, and, and so there's the trouble. It's like why all the, the Mahabharata and Bhagavatam they go into even Padma Purana, story after story, kings go into the forest for hunting animals. And, and, and the reason they're given allow, allowing because they're not hunters, they're kings. Right, hunters hunt animals, not kings. But the reason do because it allows development of martial skills in times when there's no war. So they're allowed, and there's allowed, but never without reaction. Doesn't mean that there's no karma. It may be allowed, but doesn't mean without reaction. You know, you're like 
we're all allowed to eat what we want, but there'll be a reaction when we, you know, we overreach or get sick. You know, it's like we still are karmically responsible. Not that, like that. So usually when it happens, uh, they go into the forest and something bad happens. This one, nothing so bad happens. He gets, uh, I believe, the, in larger versions of the story, he gets, you know, he gets, he gets a little lost and he finds he's a little hungry or thirsty and he comes to a hermitage of a, of, of a, of a sadhu. And Sadhu gives us, you know, so some, some, some auspicious thing happens in the middle of this. This is what happened here. Some of you summarizing and skipping some parts of the story. He talked with the sage a little and was very much pleased with his purity and wisdom. The king then wanted the sage to oblige him by receiving a present from him. The sage refused to do so, saying, The fruits of the forest are enough food for me. The pure streams of water flowing down from the mountains give, me, give enough drink for me. The bark of the trees supply me with enough covering. And the caves of the mountains form my home. So this is the true sadhu, right? The fruits, the uh, fruits and leaves give me food. The 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 bark is the word clothes out of bark. We don't quite know how to do that anymore, but this is one of the traditional sadhu dresses made of bark. Like I'm getting, I get clothes, I get uh, water, I get food, I get everything I need here, right? I don't need anything. Actually, it's interesting. This is a common thing: is people see sadhus living this type of simple life, and the result of that, you want to support them. Right by giving him something that stops him from living a simple life. <laughs> Let me build you a kutir. Let me get you, you know, <laughs> something like this. Essentially, otherwise, why you don't? Why support somebody who's not living a simple life? But by doing that, you ruin their simplicity. It's a peculiar thing. <laughs> I am Rasani Pravananda from Ramesh, uh, Ramesh when he was here. We took him to one house for for um, uh, dinner, and he they fed him very very lovingly. They made he's a South Indian, made South Indian Italy sambar and uh, very nice food. And they, of course, their nature is to feed. Some you get a good sadhu, and you want to feed them, right? You want to the more feed, the more food that you feed and get punya from it, right? But then that night, the next morning, he couldn't meditate, right? He couldn't sleep properly in the morning. He couldn't meditate because of overeating. That's one of the qualities of overeating, right? And he says, "See, they feed me because I'm a, because I meditate. That's why they they feed. They have faith in me because I spend my life meditating." Right? And the way I see my life meditating is by controlling my food, controlling my sleep, and, and, and doing austere meditation. And because of that, they overfeed me. And they ruin my sleep, they ruin my meditation, they ruin my tapasya. Ah, he got very disgusted. Ali had some buttermilk the whole day. He was very upset trying to catch his, trying to catch his digestion again. Right? Uh, very interesting. That, that, that you, want to, you want to feed somebody, you want to, give, you want to support those who are living simple lives. But there's danger. You can ruin something. So he's, he doesn't, this is that scene. Uh, the fruit. Uh, why should I take any present from you or from anybody? The king said, "Just to benefit me, sir. Please take something from my hands and please come to my city. Uh, come with me to my city and to my palace, right? Just so obviously you don't need to do it for my benefit. This is one of, this is the scheme, right? It's, it helps me if if I can give you something, right? So this is so it's hard to argue with that." Okay, if you really, if you really want to give me a bunch of money, I guess for your benefit, I'll let you. You know, this it's a very strange, it's a very strange thing, but this is a technique's been used for a thousand years, <laughs> still used now. Uh, uh, um, so, so, so please, not only I want to, please come to, come to my palace. You can have there. I'll give you anything you want. Of course, he doesn't want anything, but he wants. No, no, you please come. Let, let me serve you, Maharaj. Let me serve you. Right. It's a very common thing. After much persuasion, the sage at last con consented to do as the king desired and went with him to the palace. Before offering the gifts to the sage, the king repeated his prayers. So in, I think, Sri Ramakrishna, the story, the, king, the sage goes and the king 
while he, the sage is waiting, the king is at the time doing his his uh, puja, right? You know, in the, in the puja room, so he says, oh, please wait, Maharaj is finishing his prayers, then he'll come and give you, satisfy your desire and give you the gifts that you need. Anything you need, he'll supply your, your demands, right? So he overhears, the, uh, the sage overhears the prayers of the king. Oh Lord, give me more children. Lord, give me more wealth. Lord, give me more territory. Lord, keep my body in, in better health, and so on. Give me more food, more more territory, more power, more armies, success. You know, you can keep continuing like this. This is our his prayer. Before the king finished saying his prayers, the sage had got up and walked away from the room quietly. Got up and left. At this, the king became perplexed and began to follow him, crying, Sir, how are you going away? You have not received my gifts. The sage turned round turned round to him and said, I do not beg from beggars. This is the punchline. You or yourselves are a beggar. Who am I going to ask for? And also, and I think maybe not here. Yeah, maybe. Uh, um. I do not beg from beggars. You are yourself nothing but a beggar. And how will you give me anything? I am no fool to think of taking anything from a beggar like you. Go away. Do not follow me. In one place, Ramakrishna, when he tells a story, he says, you're asking from God, you're begging from God. If I need anything, I'll ask God directly, not you. Right? But you can see he doesn't, the nature of the sadhu is not to ask God for anything. He's getting everything. Right? One time, there was a peculiar sadhu, type sadhu, came here <laughs> many years ago. I don't want to say his name, just, just in case. <laughs> I, don't know how, I don't know where he is on the internet. You know, a long time ago. No, very, very nice in his own way. But um, uh, uh, we, he was a little bit uh, uh, difficult to to take care of, you know, he demanded a lot of attention more than we usually we are willing to give to sadhus, <laughs> that type of that type of thing. But I was, I was we're you know, we're politely and respectfully trying to like give him some gifts and <laughs> send him on send him on his way, you know, that type of well, situation like that. And his oh Swamiji, I I got some uh, some prasad. This is from Mother's own plate, and we had some some food from from the altar. Right? He immediately no, I was walk I was when I was walking. I passed by one, one, one farm and some fruits were on the floor. These are from Mother's Plate. Right? So, so that part was correct. Actually, you know, we're thinking this is Prashad. Actually, he's, he's walking down the street. You can pick up, there's food everywhere. Mother's providing. So I, I took that. <laughs> still, <laughs> still encouraging, you know. Cause, uh, uh, uh. But uh, I thought it was very interesting. Because like, actually, that's, everything is, if you, li if you live very simply, you don't need much, right? But the kings don't live very simply. They need a lot, right? <laughs> and even the pious king, who's what? This is a good king. He's praying to God for these things, right? I've quoted this before. There was a small book. It was very impressive to me. Small book that Har the Iskan put out. Um, um, it's out of print now. Maybe it's called maybe Perfect Question, Perfect Answers, or something. Uh, 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 and it was an interview. Now he's. A, He's written some, this Devity, I'm forgetting his name right now, has written some controversial science, or pseudoscience books. But um, um, at that time he was a, he was a, um, a, um, a Peace Corps worker in Calcutta, in, in, in the village, and he was talking with Prabhupada, and he was, they were having some, some discussion. And, and he says, well, isn't it wrong that people pray to God for God, to God for money? Right, he was a typical thing. People shouldn't pray for. It. He was, you know, you're trying to defeat religion as a young, 
young person, you know, you 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 know better than all religion. These people are all the Sunday religion. They're praying for God. They're praying for money and like this. And Prophet has a great line. He says, "No, no, prayer is always good. Even praying for even praying for money is good." Praying, so prayer is always good. He says, and at least he knows, somebody who prays to Krishna for money knows the source of all money is Krishna. Right? That's actually that's what most of us don't know, and therefore we don't pray to Krishna for money. We don't know that God is the source of everything, so we think we try to, you know, but that's actually, that's actually a very pious thing. Right? He says, and Krishna will give him money. Right? Yeah. <laughs> if you pray for Krishna, he'll give you whatever you reciprocate, according to what you ask, that he, that, that he can give. But prayer will pure the pure the pur- thinking of Krishna will purify his heart, right? He says, and slowly, slowly, he may pray for devotion, he may pray for selfless, selfless service. He may, you know, it, 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 you develop like that. So, uh, so even praying to God for money is not a bad thing, but in the story, the sadhu says, "Why, why beg from a beggar?" It's a very, uh, uh, very um, powerful story, I think. There is well brought out the distinction. There is well brought out the distinction between mere beggars and real lovers of God. Begging is not the language of love. That's another great line of something. He has these great, powerful punch. Begging is not the not the language of love. Actually, we. I remember, I'm trying to maybe you remember, I think Sri Ramakrishna tells a story, but I'm forgetting, it's a little unclear, about somebody who uh, 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 was, you know, wanting to like put a, 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 a scene, an image of, of Shiva or Krishna, and I wanted to, oh, the sun is there, we need to put an umbrella over it so, it doesn't, so there's no sun, right? And we have to be careful that make sure that everything's clear so that when he steps down from the shrine, he doesn't step on anything. Right? Like if one of you think, oh God doesn't but think about this. He's thinking how how to how to how to please God. Not God give me shade. Clear my way. He's thinking how to give shade to, to the deity, how to how to clear the way for the deity. When when uh 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 Sri Ramakrishna told told uh, the, the the sweeper in, in Dakshinishwar, you keep everything. Not only people walk here, the devotees, but even Ma walks here in the garden, right? You keep all oh, you have to. So that that idea of actually not like how God please clear my way, please bless me. How do I how do I give comfort to God? Now it seems almost silly. What to, to how we can give comfort? To, we're a tiny infinitesimal bound being giving comfort and protection and service to an infinite, all powerful, awesome being, right? But actually, this is a, one of the symptoms. Although Sri Ramakrishna uh, also said that in the beginning, we think of God as powerful, awesome, on reverence, right? And he described as Durga with eighteen arms or eight arms, right? All this power, right? But as we develop our relationship, slowly the eighteen arm, all powerful, the story of our universes, the, the great, you know, like the universal form that Krishna saw, that Arjuna saw. Uh, then we want to see. The better we see that he said the forearm form of Vishnu. Right. There was a, and then, but then slowly, even that becomes little baby Krishna. Right. Baby Krishna is not only like like Vishnu. We pray, Lord Vishnu, please give us food. But Krishna, who has to, he's a little boy. We have to feed him. 
If we don't feed them, he's going to starve. If you don't bathe them, you know, children don't bathe themselves. They don't like to take baths. You need to tuck them into it. Give them some briar to bathe them, right? You need to do everything. So, uh, what is uh, in that, when that book by the rest, that German devotee, the Christ and Krishna, I think he made that thing that we, we usually bow in front of God, right? But he says there's a, at a higher level, higher level of devotion, we, we bend over God, right? Like, like, like a loving mother, loving father to a child. Think about the very, what's, one thing that seems ridiculous, infinite God, infinitesimal soul. But we say, oh, we're servants of God. God doesn't need our service. But when our love grows, then we become real servants. Then we're actually serving to, to please God, not, not to please ourselves. The servant is not just, of course, we can say we can be a hired servant, right? Then, then, it, then, then it's shopkeeping, right? You know, it's like, I do this, you do this, and, and, and we pay our tax, we pay certain amounts taken out for taxes, right? And <laughs> some of it can be written off. <laughs> no problem, you know. But, uh, real, real service is, is, is not for one's own benefit. So, begging is not the language of love. Service is the language of love, not not begging. Okay. So, Samaji, what is begging? To worship God even for the sake of salvation or other rewards is equally degenerate. So, even that is begging. Lord, save me. That's also begging, right? This is, but that's a very natural. When you're when you're drowning, to call Lord, save me is natural, right? But it's not. That's the language of desperation, not the language of love. Right, that's that's Amiji's point, right? Right, and so therefore, even the, the in the language of salvation or liberation, in Hinduism we have this idea of, of uh, six forms of liberation that are possible, right? Uh, but they're considered to not be the highest uh, uh, in the devotional traditions that are connoisseurs of this love of uh, bhakti. They they actually place mukti at a, not the goal of life. We usually think we have dharma, artha, kama, moksha. That's okay, he says, but then is bhakti, bhajan. Bhakti is the highest goal of life, right? And uh, not just to get free. Of course, one time, right, maybe some of you were here that day, Swami Shaitananda was talking about this mukti and the desire for liberation is you know, the primary thing for spiritual life. And somebody made a comment, somebody in the devotional school, right, or thinking they were in the devotional school, were saying, yes, but what if you don't want, what if you don't want devotion, liberation, you want devotion? Ah, don't be stupid. Foolish, stupid talk. Who doesn't want to be free? You want to be bound? Stupid. Stupid. <laughs> Nobody wants to be bound, right? Of course, that's not what's meant. You know, it's like, <laughs> you want to be bound? Nobody wants to be bound. The idea is it's a bhava thing, not a tattva thing. Actually, liberation, we need liberation even to have devotion. We want to be free from our selfish desire, our limitation, our maya. That's what we mean. Bhakti is, is the goal of liberation in a certain sense. But nobody wants to be... Because we say, not understanding what we're saying, taking a few nice sounding things from a tradition we don't fully understand. It's like, oh, then be born again and again, along with that, you know, it's like, who talks like, you know, you really think like, you're, it sounds good, right? <laughs> right? But nobody wants to be bound, but, but, but simply wanting to be, wanting to be free is not, is not the same as love. Unless you want to be free to love, that's a different thing. We want to be free of our, of our anartha, we want to be free of our, of our selfishness, of our, uh, uh, this type of thing. That's another thing. That's okay. But yes, simply God for uh, liberation. And usually by salvation, of course, in Hinduism we have these different forms of mukti, or to attain birth in, uh, in Baikunta, or Shivaloka, like this. People want to be born into a heaven world, right? Uh, and that's nice, you know, <laughs> right? But is is that the highest goal of religion, right? 
and Christianity and, and the Western forms of religion that spring from those traditions. It's also we want to be people like I have to believe in God, I have to love God so that I can go to heaven. Right? Even asking God for heaven is a type of selfish, self, uh, subtly selfish. Lord Chaitanya and Shastakam prays, as many times as I, be re- as I may be reborn, O Lord, grant me, grant me, O Lord, steadfast love for thee. Right? Doesn't mean we want to be born again and again. But if we're going to be born, let me love you. Right, love is more important than not being born, not because born. born, not born, all these are just this is the category of frothy talk. These are nice abstract theological things you believe. If you believe this, and you won't be reincarnated, and then the time you thought you can, we've developed all kinds of theologies and 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 uh, of, of of things about the future birth or future life, life after death, like this, right? Independent of that, right? Uh, 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 whatever that may be, love is loving God is the important thing, the real goal, and we've. Many times have quoted because I think they're quoted. I think about them all the time. It's not, I don't, not embarrassed to repeat myself again. The 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 two famous uh, lines from the mystic uh, Rabia, I think that's her, Rabia, uh, Rabia, the Sufi female saint. There's only a few lines recorded from her, and two of the ones that 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 I think about all the time is one she says that Oh Lord, if I worship you, to attain paradise, deny me paradise. And if I worship you to avoid hellfire, burn me in hell. Right? This is her prayer. If I worship, if my worship is to go to heaven, deny me heaven. Right? Because that's not real worship in her in her in her. But if I worship you out of love, you please accept me. Right? And the problem is, and then another the other famous thing is a very short line. In one hand I have a torch, in the other hand I carry a bucket. With the torch I'll burn down paradise, and the bucket I'll put out hell. The fires of hell. Then they said, so we know what real religion is. Because the problem, these two ideas, they may even be true. It's, she's not denying the truth of heaven or of hell, right? Maybe these are, these are eternal verities. That I mean, these are all things we have no evidence of. We only have uh, uh, testimony of, right? But whatever it is, uh, um, uh, what, even if they're absolutely true, but what is religion? Is religion going, trying to go to one and avoid the other, right? This is not, this is, this is not the highest goal of religion. So my Vivekananda says, uh, 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 never make heaven your goal, right? Because, and he says, heaven, heaven has only heaven and earth have only one name, earth. He says, just another extension. Extension of this is just more of the same. Even if it's better, maybe here we get sick, there you don't get sick. Here we are lonely, there we're whatever the definitions are of of the of of of, of a glorious afterlife and or and avoiding a horrible uh, afterlife, right? This is whatever that is. It's not religion. It's not the real. It's not the real religion. By Rabia's discussion, I think these are very powerful lines. Or the Emerson poem. What is it? Oh, thou meek lover of the good, find me and turn thy back on heaven. The great line in the book called Brahma. I think right. Mm-hmm. Brahman. Brahman. Yeah. The poem is called Brahma by Emerson. It's a beautiful poem. Very very lovely. Uh, weaving ideas from the from the Gita and from the Upanishads, but that's Brahma speaking. The God is speaking, but He says, "O thou meek lover of the good, find me, find 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 God, not and turn thy back on heaven." Doesn't mean, but of course, sometimes and we have we have to be a little bit gen, uh, generous, and we think, "Oh, see, heaven is not the goal, and therefore the Christians don't have real religion." Most actually, if you ask a real, if you ask many Christians by heaven, they mean love of God. 
they mean union with God. You know, it's like it's the language. Every religion has their own language to describe the the beatific state, right? But within all religions, Hinduism, Christianity included, there's also those who know heaven's a place, hell's a place. I have to go to one, not to the one way to do that is to, is to worship God, right? It's not it's not about my love of God. I want to eternally be in union with in the beatific vision of God. That's my heaven. That's heaven. And eternal separation from God is hell, right? That's 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 real theology. That's that, that's that's real. That's the real thing, right? So, we, but still, the idea is that why you loving is not for any reward, even a heavenly reward, or a better reward in this life, or next life, or in the afterlife. However, love knows no. Yeah, the worship of God, even for the sake of salvation or any other rewards, is equally degenerate. Degenerate. <laughs> Swamiji, see, I'm trying to soften it all up, Swamiji. <laughs> then I go back and Swamiji still smashes, like, okay, fine, it's bad. <laughs> Whatever I just said is not true. It's really bad. <laughs> it's dangerous to clean up Swamiji also. He let him speak for himself. <laughs> Love knows no reward. Love is always for love's sake. The bhakta loves because he cannot help loving. When you see a beautiful scenery and fall in love with it, you do not demand anything by way of favor from the scenery, nor does the scenery demand anything from you. You see something beautiful, it doesn't need anything from you, you don't need anything from you, you just revel in it. Right? An aesthetic rapture, perhaps. You know, something like this. And art, it's, that's true even if it's a beautiful scenery or a beautiful piece of art. Right. Is it? Mm-hmm. See, I'm good. Mm-hmm. I'm glad Swamiji agrees with me. <laughs> Let's see if he agrees. <laughs> Nor does he, uh, yet the vision thereof brings him a blissful state of the mind. It tones down all the friction in your soul. It makes you calm, almost raises you for the time being beyond your mental nature and places you in condition of quite divine ecstasy. Divine, a, a, a aesthetic rapture, right? Very beautiful. And what, some of you talk a lot. You've mentioned, I think, Joyce's idea of, of the, the different types of art. Some is just, but there's one that where where it's trying to get something from you. Called that. Yeah. So uh, he called it pornographic art. Mm-hmm. Pornographic art is trying to attract you to to control you to get to get some you to do to do something, right? So this is not love, right? Even in 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 uh, 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 we, we, we categorize advertisement in this category, right? Most advertisement is in this category. It's art attracting you, but why? Not just to transform, to transport you to, to a, a transcendent reality to shine through, right? That's not the goal, right? It's manipulate. This nature of real love is the first angle of our triangle. Ask not anything in return for your love. Let your position be always that of a giver. Give your love unto God, but do not ask anything even in return from Him. It's a hard one. But this is Pada, but Samaji is talking Padabhakti. <laughs> right? This is a goal. Right? And we have examples of these in the scriptures. We have examples. We maybe even in our own lives, we maybe have seen people who verge on this or give examples of this. The classic example that given in, in, in even Narada Bhakti Sutta mentions this type of love and then they use an example 
such as the gopis <coughs> of Raj. You know, the gopis of Raj are always given the example. And the gopis of Raj, it depends on how you analyze them and which texts, the, the Bhagavatam and the and there's various uh, Gita Govind and all these different texts that, that tell the story of, of Radha and Krishna and the gopis and like this. And sometimes the different gopis have different relationships with Krishna. Some of them are jealous of each other, some of them are selfish, some of them are are selfless but so that's one way and so there's a there's all categories of, of loving relationships in the Vaishnava Babas right that's not we're not going to go into those that's a different topic not, that's a very esoteric topic right but generally you can say the gopis are examples of selfless devotion their, their, their pleasure was in pleasing Krishna right and 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 even in, in um, I think in the maybe even the Gita Govinda so Jayadeva Goswami I believe it's, a, it's there it's I don't get to go into the text above our purity level, so it's not not to be read by uh, whimsically, right? But some general philosophical points have been pulled from it, so all I can say, not the romantic episode between Radha and Krishna, that's beyond our knowledge. But um, it's it, there's one point where Krishna is either it's in the, I think it's in his introduction to Gita Govinda. I'm not exactly I don't perfectly remember where Krishna says oh, I have a a horrible headache. Right, and he's looking for some. The only way that, and everybody's, oh, what can we do to, to to make it better? If somebody can put their feet on my head, that will cool it. And everybody's horrified because who would put their? He's God. Mm-hmm. Who would put their feet on God's head? This is the, the worst of all sin. To do so definitely will will throw one to hell for sure. What could be more disrespectful? Even if it's God's asking, you don't do it. It's such a horrible thing, mm-hmm. right? But one of the gopi maybe immediately, immediately, no, here, 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 my, my feet, I'll, I'll, I'll put my feet on your head, right? Because you're thinking, whatever makes Krishna happy, whatever gives him relief, that's what I want to do. I live only, I'm his servant, right, his lover, whatever, whatever he wants that I do. Right? So the gopis are always to give an example of this. They don't want liberation, they don't want, of course, within the relationship, there, there's, like I said, all the different babas, some of them do want, and the man, and there's, there's, there's a play of uh, Leela going on between them. That's not the point here. The reason Krishna has this type of Leela with them because they have selfless devotion to him. Therefore, he can, they, can, they, can, they can have these relationships with him. Right? And the problem is when we try to think, oh, I can have those relationships with Krishna. Is that we, have, we don't have selfless devotion. And we pollute the whole thing. Right? So we, the problem. So the first angle is love knows no bargaining. Angle two. The second angle. Oh my goodness, okay. The second angle of the triangle of love is that love knows no fear. Those who love God through fear are the lowest of human beings. <laughs> now, at first, actually, when I'm reading this earlier today, I should, I should read what I'm going to read tonight, you know. It doesn't surprise me. <laughs> right? And I read, and I was thinking, those who are the lowest of, like, lovers or of religious people not but of human beings <laughs> i can think of worse human beings but swamiji can't right he's so disgusted with this idea the, the hate the lover of god one who loves god out of fear one who fears god better not to know about god that's a better point better not to think of god at all than to fear god this is his point right and he even says like that a regular person just let live their life right let live their try to be happy with their family make some money come home, raise their children, why bring God into it? Why be something so horrible? Right? And, to, to the, the, the ob- to, to, and also to relate to the object of love out of fear. Right? And, and to worship them out of that. This is not religion. It's not even human life. 
uh, and actually, this is the way. This is the way you train animals. Right? You train animals to obey you. Out of you know, you can say even they love you, but it, my dog loves me so much. But he learned to love me. Right? <laughs> if he doesn't, he gets he gets a whack. You know, it's like they're 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 you're trained. This is how you train an animal. Right? This that shouldn't be the way you train a human being. Right? Uh, and we can train human beings. We're also, I mean, you look at the behavioralists. They they analyze human beings. What was the famous one? Uh, Skinner. Skinner and hmm? yeah. yeah, these are horrible, actually horrible people. <laughs> Their view of the human the human being is completely like an animal, and and can be treated. Of course, we our our, our view of animals isn't this way. Their view of human beings are like animals. We don't even think we don't even spiritualists don't even think of animals the way he considered humans. That's the thing, right? We don't even treat animals like animals. We treat we see their person, their their personalities. There's consciousness. They're just limited uh, biology and neurology, right? So they have it's like we have limited biology and neurology, right? But uh, this is the way you train animal, not the way a person by 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 reward and punishment. So and and so we even have this term. Oh, he's the fear of God. And sometimes the fear of God simply means respect. Those who means a religious person is a God-fearing, God-fearing man. I want a God. You know, it's like you know that's that's okay. That we know what that generally means, but it shouldn't really mean what we what we think what it, what, it, what we think it means. The second angle of the triangle: love is love. Those no fear. The lo- those who love God through fear are the lowest of human beings, quite undeveloped as men. They worship God from fear of punish from fear of punishment. He is a great being to them with a whip in one hand and a scepter in the other. If do not obey him, they are afraid that they will be whipped. It is a degenerated, it is a degradation to worship God through fear of punishment. Such worship is, if worship at all, the crudest form of worship of love. As long as there is any fear in the heart, how can there be love also? Actually, love and fear don't go together. That's one of the points, right? And often Usha says love and love and freedom always go together, mm-hmm. right? And so love and f- love and fear is the exact opposite, you know. <laughs> fear of punishment. And and uh, Samaji, one other place, he says that the the in the Western tradition, we've developed the the uh, the God fear, fearer. Right. He says, of course, he's he's he was being dramatic and over dramatic, perhaps, to create an an Samaji had an effect of shaking an audience, right? So you have to. T- he's not he's not being anthropological here exactly. He's being dramatic and 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 poetical also. But he says, uh, but and, and in India we created the God Lover, right? Of course, there's people who fear God in India, the people who love God in the in in, in Christian, Jewish, and and so it's not. But in general, the idea of fear, love of God, we may have people who fear God, but we know this is not the highest thing, right? This, the texts also say fear of God. Should we, should we glance at our? We're reminded. <laughs> I read this. This I gave a summary of this uh, uh, talk. See, I'm giving my talk, so I'm giving, and then we're reading Swami Vivekananda's sermon. My sermon is reading Swami Vivekananda's sermon. But in the middle of that, I want to read another sermon, but not the full thing. Uh, very famous sermon. It's considered, uh, um, if I can find it here. Uh, let me find it. Where is it? I'm just going to, I'm not going to read the whole thing. It's long enough to, and scary enough. <laughs> <laughs> By Jonathan Edwards, the, Re- the Reverend Jonathan Edwards of Massachusetts. 
right? Church of God, Massachusetts, right? What, you gave me how many years ago? Uh, yeah, about 280 years ago. 280, 79, 80 years ago, this talk was given, right? Um, and he gave this sermon many times in different places. And it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Right, so this is it's a great, the title itself is good, you know, but actually this is very theologically important, right, and I'm not, I'm not, made, it's a little funny from our perspective, but it's actually not funny, right, not only is it very scary, because of course, Sharma Krishna, I mean, Swami Bhikkhana say, what is it, less than a human being or something like that, <laughs> or whatever, you know, so this is, this is, so we can, we can, and, 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 and this is the foundation of much of what we would consider modern day American evangelical Christianity. This is the this is the this this sermon created it. The Great Awakening. That was a movement, the religious movement of the time, right? It was one of the great revival revi- revival movements and in, 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 in during the this is during the English colonies. This is before even America was America, right? Uh, but uh, but even that the title uh, 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 Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And in it he has this great image one of the great, this is a very powerful image he used. It was effect. He gave the talk many places. People would invite him because what happened is the churches were empty, <laughs> right? This is actually like, there's a, there's a there's a motivation behind it. He was a preacher and he has a certain, and but the churches were empty and all the colonies they all they, everywhere they went they established a church. They had to have a church, right? And the churches were empty because the cult colonial living was hard living. This this is hard. This is a hard life, right? And religion is not the only thing, right? You know they they have they, they have they have uh, quotas to make. Right, that the colonies—they're sending money back to, they're sending goods and money back. It's a, it was a difficult life, and and in order to make to to get the so he was this this sermon was so successful that that other people asked him, "You come to my church," and he traveled all over the colonies and gave the same lecture or version. He just read the same lecture, the same sermon, and thousands of people. There was an upsurge in Christian Christianity and during the colonies, right? But that's so colored, that's become, that's really become what we consider, now, I mean, in a lot of the modern churches, it's been watered down and thinned out and like that, but the core of it is, is a theolo- theological punch of, 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 of what we consider like, a, like a evangelical forms of Christianity in the West, right? And, 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 and the view is, of course, we, most people here know something about uh, the biblical uh, theology, and and the the story of the fall redemption principle of of, of 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 Christian religion, but there's many ways to consider this principle. You know, we've you know there's the fall of uh, the sin of Adam and Eve. We've inherited that sin, and become separated from God. And then God so loved the world that He came as Jesus and rectified and by His sacrifice, He united God and man once again. That's a simple, actually very beautiful, mystical, universally applicable, right? Maybe salvific. Right, that 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 that's a true, maybe a true thing, right? But that's not that's not that's if you simply state that that we in ancient times man and God were separated and looked away from each other, right? And God did something. Jesus did something, being God Himself and man Himself, rectified it and, and gave us sacrificed Himself and 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 put the rift between man and God has been fixed. We've been even the Bible says we've been declared not guilty. It's a great line, right? And and I forget exactly where, but I remember the line. We've, you've been declared not guilty, right? Bus there, right? But so actually, now we can live that. We can live in that truth or not, right? And so the view, uh, 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 live in that truth is salvation. To deny that truth is damnation. Just we're in union with God, and we deny that that union, 
right? That's what could be more painful. That is, that's one way of looking at this, uh, of this, of this uh, mystical. And actually, and and for for a couple thousand years, that was the main view. Some version of that was the main was the view of the story, right? But that's not how it's really thought of now. It's been it's spread. But now it's like, no. We are because of that, not because of something we did, something somebody else did a long time ago. Thousands of years ago, we know exactly how many thousand, four thousand, something like that. Four thousand years ago, you know, when the world was young, right? Something really, somebody else did something really bad, and the result of which we are really bad, right? We are imperfect, not just perfect, we're sinners, and not just sinners, we are worthy of damnation, right? And and God, not only that, because we're so sinners and God, we're so horrible, right? The ju- because God's so loving, His just love and justice go together. Because he loves us, because he's pure love, he has to, he hates sinners, right? And this is the this is the view, right? And so that that uh, um, not only does he hate sinners, he we deserve eternal punishment, right? But so all of you, sorry to tell you this, <laughs> you didn't think you didn't think I was going to go with this, but all of you are sinners, and you all deserve eternal punishment. And 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 so God hates sinners. God hates you. This is actually the, this is what he actually said, almost said like this, and he's justified, and and he wants if he sends you to hell, he's justified in doing so. Right? All of you, we all deserve to go to hell, and if we go to hell, God would be just in sending us to hell. But also, out of in the middle of all this, he he has arranged something a long time ago. He took all the he took all of our sins. The thing is, sins from a thousand years ago, we didn't we didn't do that sin. There may be some ontological, cosmological thing if we're separated from God by uh, something. But the idea that we are so incredibly horrible to deserve damnation, not because of something we did, it's a weird thing. So he collected all of our sins, right? And, and he took his only beloved son, right, who's innocent, and inflicted all the sins on him, punished him for what we deserve, which is already a very strange thing. It's not actually what most of Christianity actually thought for a long time. This is the fair, that dramatic version of it is fairly new, right? And, and, and it developed with the Western Church more, more than with the Eastern Church. That wasn't the way it was conceptualized, right? So this is the, this is the, uh, the, the somebody who dies in, somebody who's punished for our, what's that term called? Uh, it's not scapegoat, but it's a, there's a term for that. I, I, it, something, there's a, there's, a, there's a theological, I'm forgetting it. Forgive me, I used to know this stuff when I studied. I studied this stuff in school, but it's been a long time. Hmm? Well. No, that's different. That's, that's a good without that. Uh, <clears throat> but uh, somebody, somebody is, is punished in our stead, right? And so already that seems horrible, right, to the most mind, right? We're, not, we're so bad that we deserve, all of us, all over the world deserve eternal punishment. But in order to save us from that eternal punishment, he took the one person who doesn't deserve eternal punishment and took all our punishment and gave it to him. And he willingly accepted it. So these are deep things, right? I'm not dismissing, but just this, this uh, almost a caricature version of the story, right? Which is developed on this. And then he says, and, and if you believe that, then that's the, requir- that's the requirement for salvation. And so in this famous, I'm going too far, but uh, in this famous uh, sermon, he, the fact that he, he saves anybody shows his infinite love. Because actually we all deserve, we're, we're act, not only deserve it, we have the fires of hell burning underneath us. He said that, what's it, I didn't give the, the, the story yet, right? The, uh, he says, imagine uh, uh, a, a spider being dangled over a flame, 
this is our condition. Right, so you can see this is a powerful, this is a powerful thing, right? If you say that you're, you not only, we, we might, you not think you're that bad, you really are that bad, right? And you don't think that, and you think God might love you. He does love you, but he's really angry with you. And he has you dangling over a flames of hell. This is the image he gave, right? And, and so the only way, maybe, actually he wants, because you deserve it, he wants to drop, because he's just God. He wants to give you divine justice and drop you into the fire. Right. These are strong. This is a this is a mind blowing lecture. You should look it up online. It's scary and brilliant and fascinating at the same time, right? But out of love, right? He's a, if you accept it, by loving Jesus, right? They even use the word not just believing in Jesus. By loving Jesus only, he'll not drop you into the fire, right? This is a very strong. And this is the this is the and you can see that's been permeated into all the different forms of 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 of, of um. God make, these are the, the main points of the lecture I shall give you. God may cast wicked men into hell at any given moment. Mm-hmm. Two, the wicked deserve to be cast in hell. Divine justice does not prevent God from destroying the wicked at any moment. See, you, Yogananda says, no, 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 not even the most horrible father will want the punishment, will want the punishment of their son. Right? You know, even a, even a bad father wants their son to be happy, their child to be happy. Right, so Yogananda, Yogananda, one of his, he says, "Why would we say that God wants, you know?" But yeah, think about it. he, he, Samaji didn't come that much after this talk was given. Right, yeah. <laughs> you know, like this is this is this is this is a uh, he was almost commenting on this point. You know, so exactly that a loving father would do that. that he's ready to drop us. The wicked at this moment suffer under God's condemnation. We've already been condemned to hell. The wicked on earth at this very moment suffer the sample of the torments of hell. The wicked must not think simply because they are not physically in hell that God, that God is not at this very moment as angry with them as he is to those miserable creatures who are already in hell. Right? These are the points. This is Swami, you can see, so this is Swamiji's talk, this is his talk. It's really interesting. But you know, but I'm bringing, this is I'm a little bit heavy on it, but, but it goes on like this. Right? But this, this is fear of God. You love God, you follow, you obey, you love, and you believe. Otherwise, inconceivable, horrible horrors await you. Right? That may be true. I'm not even denying this is true. That's not my position. Right? I'm not. A, I'm not a preacher of this gospel. I'm a preacher of a different gospel. Right? <laughs> right? There's people who are expert at preaching this gospel. That's that's and and we even we sometimes we even listen to them. They're interesting. <laughs> right? <laughs> I, li- I like religion, even weird stuff. And re- I like everything weird, the weirder and the most outrageous. Even I love, right? What this, this is, I love, I love religion. What to do, right? But this is not, this is not my religion, <laughs> right? This is not Swami Swamiji's point because uh, this is not, uh, this should not be the motivation for love. But but the amazing thing is that because God actually is lovable, right? Even people who who may have been inspired by this talk. Or by the modern day versions of this talk, which is still being done on TV and in churches and on street corners and pamphlets, all written in capital letters, the whole thing, you know, as we all, we've all come in contact with these. Right? But still, if they think of God, he's lovable. Right? So you find, even in this, you find people who love God. Right? Even if they couch it in the language of fear, and I want to go to heaven, I don't want to go to hell. Right? But you see behind them, there's love of God. That's why it's very hard to just dismiss this religion is this, this religion is that. It's never like that, right? Even within this, there's, there, in Sri Ramakrishna, said that this, these are people also love, these are also, if you're sincere and they actually want God, this is, they can find. 
but the but Swamiji is talking about the motivation, what what love is, right? So love love comes from fear. Love never comes from fear, and love of God and fear of God are not the same thing. That's the the main ultimate point of this little section. He is a great being to them with a whip in one hand, a scepter in the other, dangling us over the flames with, a, with his third and fourth hand. <laughs> now we, know, we know that God has four hands. That's our benefit. <laughs> we have a few more things to do with the hand. We can, we can fit this God into our, into our world also. Uh, they are afraid that they will be whipped. It is a degradation to worship God through fear of punishment. Such worship is, if worship at all, the crudest form of worship through love. So long as there is any fear in the heart, how can there be love also? Love conquers naturally all fear. Think of a young mother. And this is very interesting. Not only do you not love God out of love, doesn't come out of fear, but where there is love, there is no fear. So now he's talking even deeper. When the presence of love, fear disappears. Not only can you not love because of fear, but where there is love, there is no fear. And he gives a beautiful example. Think of a young mother in the street and a dog barking at her. She is frightened and flies into the nearest house. Right? But suppose the next day she is in the street with her child and a lion springs upon the child. Where, will, where, where, will her, where, is her, where will be her position now? Of course, in the mouth of the lion to protect her child. Right? You know, it's like without her child, a dog barks, you get scared. But to protect your child, there's no fear. In, in, uh, 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 just out of love for the child, fear disappears completely, right? So that's a beautiful, that simple thing where there's, where there's love, there's no fear. Love doesn't come from fear, but where there's love, even in the beginning, maybe we start thinking of God out of fear, right? Or, or some hope, right? Even, and, and, but we, we and by, like, like Srila Prabhupada said, if you praying to God for money is not bad, praying is always good. Praying to God out of fear or out of hope, maybe is not, so, not bad, Right, but but by prayer you begin to think of God, and if love begins to develop, then fear disappears. Right, right. Uh, uh, Rabbi also there's another line that's recorded. Rabbi, I'm remembering one more. Right, he says, "Do you hate? Do you love God?" He says, "Yes." Do you love Allah? He says, "Yes." Do you hate Satan? He says, "No." What is this? You know, we're taught love God, hate Satan. He says, "No, I love God, and He's removed all hatred." Right, so it's like you love God, all fears disappears, all hatred disappears, all separation disappears. Right, so we hate God and we love God and hate Satan because these are these are the level of belief and faith and 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 dogma and this type of stuff. The real experience, when the presence of love, hate, anger, fear, jealousy, these things disappear. Right, mm. love conquers all fear. Fear comes from the selfish idea of cutting oneself off from the universe. The smaller and the more selfish I make myself, the more is my fear. If a man thinks he is a little nothing, remember this idea, what, what's our view? We're sinners. Sinners in the hand, not only sinners, sinners. we're, we're sinners. We, not only may we go to hell, we should go to hell. This is the, the point of that sermon. right? We're, we're not just bad, we're real. Not, we're, we're, you could take, oh, all men, what, what are the core verses? Actually, there's, we have no objection to the core verses. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's true, right? We, uh, you know, it's like we're, we need to be perfect we need to be. We're not yet perfect, right? But there's a difference between not the glory of God to deserving, being horrible, miserable, horrible sinners. Some people can another place. We all know that famous 
it is a sin to call a man a sinner, right? Right? You know. So this is. So, but so the less you think of yourself, sorry. If a man thinks that he is a little nothing, a little useless or horrible thing, fear will surely come upon him. And the less you think of yourself as an insignificant person, the less fear there will be for you. So long as there is the least spark of fear in you, there can be no love there. Love and fear are incompatible. God is never to be feared by those who love him. The commandment, do not take the name of the Lord in vain. So even like the people say, oh, no, I have to be careful what I say. I shouldn't ever say anything. Be careful. These are all the, like, because God will be angry if I use his name in vain. Right? Somebody says, the true lover of God laughs at. How can there be any blasphemy in, in, the, in the religion of love? The more you take the name of the Lord, the better for you, in whatever way it may be. You, only, you are only repeating his name because you love him. If you're doing something out of love, nothing to fear. So that's the, the first angle is no bargaining. Second, no fear. Okay. Those without the book, any idea what the third? For memory, or for divine inspiration or by your own illumined devotional consciousness? Okay, no, okay. <laughs> the third angle of the love triangle is that love knows no rival. This is interesting. For it is always embodied, for in it, is always embodied the lover's highest ideal. True love never comes until the object of our love becomes to us our highest ideal. It may be that in many cases human love is misdirected and misplaced, but to the person who loves, the thing he loves is always his own highest ideal. We'll go into this momentarily. One may see his little ideal in the vilest of beings, and another in the highest of beings. Nevertheless, in every case, it is the ideal alone that can be truly and intensely loved. So, when, remember, Swamiji says in the beginning that bhakti is only towards Ishwara, right? It can only real love is only given to God or to the universal, the 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 uh, not the. Particular. So, what we really love is we're love. Actually, we can only love God. Our highest, the highest possible, what is what Saint Anselm and Anselm's great definition of God, the idea by which the being nothing greater can be thought can can be thought of, the the greatest possible being without which nothing can be thought of, that is his definition of God, right? So it's like when we love the one we love and we love God, there's nothing higher than that, right? And even if we're not loving God, even if we're loving our child, we're loving our dog. Right? We're loving our country, we're loving something. Even that, what is it? We think that's, we love it because that's the highest thing. Right? We love her because she's the most beautiful girl. We love him, he's the most wonderful man. Right? You know, whatever, the thing we really love, the thing that, we're, that we put our, we love because we think it's the highest. And it is the highest. Right? So I mean, in, 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 even to some party, they may find that highest thing in a, in a relatively low thing. Right? And a very sophisticated part may find it in a very sublime conception. Right. But, it, but it's, only, it's only the ideal, so I'm, this is, sorry, it's a slightly impersonal way of talking, right? Uh, another way of saying the ideal is Ishta, or Ishwara, or Bhagavan, whatever the highest possible thing. I remember Swami Krishnananda, this great disciple, Swami Shivananda, right? We asked him about Japa, you were there, I think. Uh, that was the time we were there, and he says, whatever mantra you're chanting, you have to think, the the mantra relates to the, 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 the person that the mantra or the 
object that's being named, the person that's being named, you can't think uh, there should be nothing higher than that, that thing, right? If you if you say in Ma's name, it's because Ma there's nothing greater than Kali. Therefore, you say her name. You're developing, you're meditating on the highest possible thing beyond which there's nothing, right? Otherwise, meditate on that next thing. If you think there's another deity greater than Kali, then meditate on that deity. Why are you meditating on Kali? Right? Krishna also says, you know, it's like those who worship lesser deities, they worship me only, but in the wrong way. There's many ways you can understand that that verse. Right? Some people say that's a little sectarian, but you're saying worship me, other deities aren't important. Like worship whatever you think. If you think something higher, if I'm higher than them, worship me. Right? You know, whatever the highest, worship the highest. Not saying that we're not trying to stratify what's higher and lower, but if you think something, sometimes somebody I remember years ago I was getting a suit made for a wedding, for a, a funeral, and somebody asked me what do you study at school? The guy measuring me, you know, the last time I ever measured for anything, you know, uh, many many years ago, uh, college days. You know, I'm studying religious studies. Oh, really? What's uh, what do you study? Comparative religion. So what's the best religion? <laughs> well, that's not what we. That's not what we study. You know, it's not that type of comparative to find the best religion. But he says, but ultimately, my religion is the best religion. Otherwise, if I thought another religion was better, I'd be another religion, mm-hmm. right? That's by definition, you know. But I mean, at least, or I can. But we, as an open mind, we say, oh, this is better for my taste or my temperament. I'm not stratifying we, whatever religion is best for you because we could say it in a general way. But but the idea is that what we're really worshiping, the, whatever we're loving, is really we're loving the ideal. Although we may not have a, a, the, the, the fullest realization or vision of, of the ideal. One may see his ideal in the vilest of beings, another in the highest of beings. Nevertheless, in every case, it is the ideal alone that can be truly and intensely loved. The highest ideal in every man is called God. The, the being by which nothing greater can be thought of. That's the right definition. I think I've, I've repeated so many years over the years. I don't know if I've, like one of those, those whisper games, you keep repeating it. And I don't, I've been repeating this definition of St. Anselm's for 28 years, <laughs> but I haven't looked at it since then, <laughs> so I don't know if I'm getting it right. Forgive me if I'm not getting it right. Ignorant or wise, saint or sinner, man or woman, educated or uneducated, cultivated or uncultivated, to every human being, the highest ideal is God. You can even say, oh, you know, God is Isaac. Somebody says, no, says, oh, no, music is my God. Isn't that, isn't that the line of um, the biography of, of, of Rabbi Shankar, I think? My music, my God, isn't that something like this? Something like that, right? But even then, because that's their God, whatever their highest thing, that's God, right? Gandhiji had this great line, he said, people say, oh, God is truth. No, no, truth is God, right? Truth is more important than God. Truth was his God. Whether it's truth, whether it says God tells me to lie, I will, I, will, I will tell the truth and reject that God. Even if he's God, my God is truth. Right? If your highest possible thing, you hold the highest thing, that is God. The synthesis of all the highest ideals of beauty, of sublimity, uh, and of power gives us the completest conception of the loving and lovable God. This is God. The synthesis, the combination or the combination of all the highest ideals of beauty, of sublimity, and of power give us, those taken together, give us the completest conception of the loving and lovable God. We love God because He's loving and He's lovable. These, oh my goodness, I have to finish this, please forgive me. I'm going to go a little late, but I can't do two of the three legs. <laughs> We're gonna, the thing will fall over, so I have to finish it. <laughs> These ideals exist in some shape or other in every mind naturally. They form a part and parcel of all of our minds. All the active manifestations of human nature, our struggles of those ideals become realized in practical life. 
all the various movements that we see around us in society are caused by the various ideals and various souls trying to come out and become concretized. What is inside presses on to, be, to come outside. The perennially, the perennially dominant influence of the ideal is one force and the one motive power that may be seen to be constantly working in the midst of mankind. It may be after hundreds of births, after struggling through thousands of years, that man finds that it is vain to try to make the inner ideal mold completely. Ideal mold completely the external conditions and square well with them. After realizing this, he no more tries to project his own ideals on the outside world, but worships the ideal itself as ideal from the highest standpoint of love. The big idea, big ideals. But uh, uh, we're trying to, we're trying to, uh, 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 we want the perfect, we want the beautiful, we want the sublime. That's the, whatever idea. And we try to seek it outside, we don't find it. Right? And we try to sometimes make it so, force it to be so. And we, life after life, struggle after, this is thousands of years. This is one way of interpreting these ideas. But, but at the highest point, one realizes just the, 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 the uh, uh, can't say the abstract, but I mean, in a certain sense, it's abstract. Love is independent of any particular, right? This is the, the uh, when you love the, the, the universal principle rather than the, the particular, particularized forms. Uh, the highest, from the highest standpoint. This ideally perfect ideal embraces all lower ideals. The, this idea of God, the highest possible beauty, the highest, in a certain sense, abstraction, that encompasses everything. We talked yet last week about finding the samasti, not the, I forget, I forgot the, 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 the universal, the, 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 the particular manifestations is one thing, and the universal principle. When you, when you realize it, what you're looking for really is that universal principle, even in the particulars, you stop looking for it in the particulars. You see it in the particulars, but you stop depending on it, right? Like, like if you're looking for eternality, right? Ever, uh, you find it, you can't find it in the, in the in the changing body, right? So you look for it in in the unchanging. Yet you see it in the changing body, but you don't exclusively see it. It won't satisfy you in the changing body. Anyway, we'll continue because we're running out of time. Everyone admits the truth of the saying. This is that saying from Shakespeare you found. That the lover sees Helen's beauty on the Ethiop's brow. Where was it found? You found it. Midsummer Night's Dream. I didn't. I wasn't so familiar. But the one you're looking for in every. The one you're looking. You're looking for the the one you think you're looking for is the one you you see. That's a poor way of saying it. Some of you. The, the example I want to use. I want to use the example from the from the uh, the sake for the self, not for the sake of the uh, the wife or the wife. Do you think of the self? Is a perfect example, but somebody's going to you do what I do. I say it, and then he says it. So I'm going to wait a second and get there. It's a perfect explanation of this line. The man who is standing aside as a looker, looker on, sees that love is his is here misplaced. But the lover sees his Helen all the same, and does not see Ethiop at all. Helen or Ethiop, the objects of our love, are really the centers round which our ideas become crystallized. When it is that when, what is it that the world commonly worships? Not certain it is all embracing ideal, per, ideally perfect ideal of supreme devotee and lover. That ideal which men and women commonly worship, 
is what is in themselves. Every person projects his or her own ideal on the outside world and kneels before it. The great line. We project our ideal and we kneel before it. That is why we find that men who are cruel and bloodthirsty conceive of a bloodthirsty God because they can only love their own highest ideal. So it's interesting that, you know, if, you, if a violent person projects violence as the ideal and sees a violent God, right? A loving person projects love as their ideal and, and, and worships a loving God, right? Or, or the, what is it, the, the, uh, a sinners of an angry God. An angry person sees an angry God, right? A forgiving person sees forgiving. You, like, you see somebody who's uh, full of compassion and, and like, well, you know, they, 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 their view of God is going to be compassion. Right, uh, you think? Uh, in the, one of the Psalms, when uh, God speaks and says, You made the mistake of thinking that. Yeah, I think like yeah, you. yeah, yeah. Mm. That is why good men have a very high ideal of God, and their idea, ideal is indeed so very different from that of others. And so, so actually, like that's where it ends. That is why good men have a very high ideal of God. So actually, there's so many in the study of religion, which has been my interest and hobby and, and, and academic career in early years, all these years. I'm fascinated in religion, but we're interested in, everybody, in, in all the phenomenon of religion. Personally, I'm interested in the phenomenon, phenomenon of religion, right? But the thing that inspires us most is not just seeing how, re- how religion works and spreads and what it does in society and how it generates. That's interesting in its own, if, if, that, if that interests you, right? But really what's interesting is the religion of the saints. The view, you, know, you look at the saints, what is their view of God, right? You know, not just good men. So you look at the gopis, you look at, Nar- you look at Narada Bhakti Sutta, you look at Sri Ramakrishna. Uh, Chaitanya Dev. You know, you look at, the, you look at read the saints, their idea of God. These are extremely refined people, completely pure, parabhaktas, you know. Their view of God is not only, you see them and they're, they're mind-blowing. You think of the saints, they're so inspiring. But one thing, thinking of a divine ideal has made them like that. Or, they're like that, because they're like that, imagine what their ideal is. Right? Think of what their view of God is. Sometimes we, sometimes in our own inner world, and we see great saints, people we believe to be great saints. We just kind of when we meet them or we think about them, those who have passed, but even living saints. Say, so what it would it be like to see the way they see? Right? And then just you think, what would? How do they? You know, we look. I'm looking out, loving all these people. Imagine if Sri Ramakrishna was here. Not only wonderful to see Sri Ramakrishna, but what what does he see? Right? You know, actually, he even said he says actually we see. So my viewer kind of said, we, 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 you know, uh, we, we, we see people, like one time a, a uh, prostitute came to Sri Ramakrishna, and, and especially at that time, extremely uh, judged personality, and people, and you can, you can make an argument for and against and social, who's the fault, and, 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 and gender inequality, all the things like that, but he didn't see that at all, he didn't see a prostitute, he didn't see a, he didn't see a woman or a man, he saw the Divine Mother. Right, because you know, in every person, he's, and he, he said, sometimes one place we just recently read, he's telling somebody, everybody here is Ram. Right, you don't see it, but it's true. Everybody here is only Ram. Right, he could see it like that. We so it'd be interesting to be able to to imagine 
what it, what that scene is like. And then, but also, not only do they see, and we give faith like this and some inspiration, but they also um, bhakti yoga. Why it's it's a, it's a method is also a technique, a group of uh, uh, principles to um, uh, train ourselves purif- to purify our our, our our desire, purify our love, free from. Uh, reward, bargaining, fear, and uh, rival. interesting about rival also is that it means that there's nothing else to love. That's it's not. We, we, Swamiji, we, in the next chapter, he he finishes the idea of we didn't get there. I thought I was going to get there foolishly. I was thinking to get further than I am. Uh, 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 I think love means and it's one way also to interpret that that uh, have no other gods before me. Could be it could be as a judgmental thing is only worship this God on either, but actually there is no when you love God there's no second. There's almost not even no rival. There's no second, right? There's no second being. There's only the one you love. There's nothing else, right? So there's no competition. There's no you can't love. You can't say you can't love two people. You can love two. You can love. Swami's already established. You love the one. You love the many, right? But there, because but there's never a second. There's no second. That's why there's no fear, why there's no competition. Let's leave it. Hopefully no comments because we're already 10 minutes late. (laughs) Aha, see you're ruining it. You're worse than me. It's your fault that we're late. Well, when you said, you just stimulated something when you said, Uh what is it like for saints? And my guru used to say, what is it like for saints? I welcome you because I see the divine life. Yes, 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 yes. This is wonderful, yeah. So my uh, uh, Swami Ramatirta, who came in, a great Swami who came to this country in 1907 like this, wonderful. And we have so many of his lectures that he gave, and he always gave his lecture, he always started in the same way. And I, it means impressed because my, my own Guruji, when, he'd come, when he came to this country, he also told me, read Swami Ramatirta. Right? He's always, so I know he loves Swami Ramatirta, and he'd, he'd start his talks the exact same way. Probably inspired by Ramatirta, but also hopefully the same. He says, uh, my own self and the former brothers and sisters. This is how we'd always start. Not only like Swami Vivekananda, sisters and brothers of America, we all know the, 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 the like that, but it was my own self and the former brothers and sisters. You know, this is the true. And whether or not that's his realization, we believe, right? But even to think about it, my own self, just imagine to think like that. My own self, I greet all of you. And so he'd write letters to me. My own self, uh, dear innermost self. That's how he signed it. Dear, he signed, dear innermost self, Bhajananda. Mm-hmm. Right, and then he signed it, thy own self, Guruji. Mm-hmm. Right, that, you know that. So you're you're the innermost self, and he signed it yourself. Right, <laughs> beautiful. So he was Shivananda did something. He probably also learned. He also he came from the tradition of Brahmatirtha and Shivananda, and so he used that same. He was inspired by these saints, and he, he agreed with their their tradition. Right, they matched his own realization. But I thought, but still, that's a, what a powerful thing. He's like, no, you're you're a friend, you're a well-wisher, you're, you know, we we do ways that that we're not, we can do that. But uh, and sometimes we'd sign like that in his tradition, to amongst our uh, our loving devotees, we have such a connection with. But it's it seems almost embarrassing because it's not actually our our you know it's like we you know you're well-wisher, not like your own self. The truth is your own self, but. Guruji could say that with full confidence. <laughs> you know, we're saying it with faith that Guruji saw that. <laughs> you know, we're not quite there yet. That's very, very, very nice. Okay, you—that was worth it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs>
you will not be punished. We shall slowly take you away from the fire. <laughs> One more day. Jai Ma. Hari Om Tat Sat.